Hello everybody and welcome to episode 115 of Legs of the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, ah yes, that'll fix Street Fighter V. The WHO is back on its bullshit. Beyond Good and Evil 2 beta due late 2019? I think not. And in our book club feature this week, we talk about some Lucha Libre mayhem in Guacamole. Let's start the show. This is Link to the Cast, episode 115, from your friends over at linktothecast.eu, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, or Stitcher. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, and I am joined, as always, on the line by the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? I'm Mark Robinson, that still is very much in that uh, that mode of World Cup fever. Um, although, Nini had that kind of kicked out of me dragging and screaming today from a very, very dull Saudi, Ara- Saudi Arabia-Uruguay match. Oh boy, that one was tough to get through, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, but other than that, so far, I'm very much enjoying this World Cup, and um, long may it continue, because uh, boy, it does help get through the days at work. Yeah, it uh, it really, like, so I missed most of the, I saw the opening game, missed most of the following three days um, because I was away, more of that uh, anon. And uh, then kind of since Monday when I got back, my days have been structured around the World Cup. Um, make sure I have seen all the kind of, all the, what is it, so three Mondays, so, so yeah, I've watched eight games of football since Monday, and I'm I'm enjoying it. And I have the the tablet on on here in the background to to watch on about a minute's delay the the Spain game as we're recording here. So there's any like that's uh, I'm I'm reacting to something that's happening on screen. Um, yeah, the the fever hasn't died, but I I was I was also pushed close to breaking point uh, this afternoon with that Uruguay game. Um, but other than the World Cup, which is kind of dominating our lives right now, Mark, how have you been? Uh, yeah, not too bad. What have I been up to since uh, since we last did a proper show? Because it's been a while since we've done an actual proper show. Because uh, Yeah, so it's been like three weeks because we did E3 preview and E3 review. And then in between all that, we did World Cup. Yeah, so there was no kind of like idle chit-chat as we are one to do for the first 10 to 15 minutes of a show. Um, hmm... What have I been up to? Well, I saw Gorillas the other weekend, which was uh, which was good fun. Very much yeah. enjoyed that because uh, I'd seen Blur, but I'd never seen Gorillas before, so it was nice to see uh, yeah. one of Damon Albarn's other sort of projects. Yeah, that's the the one incarnation of him I haven't seen, which is funny because over the the course of my Wait, lifetime of going to gigs, Queen, I have really. Huh. I was front I was front row center for the good, the bad, and the queen at Electric Picnic in two thousand and eight. Oh, how about that? Um, yeah, I. Um, it's funny because, like I said, over the course of my gig going lifetime, the one that's the e- has been the easiest to see has been Gorillas, and it's just the one I haven't seen. <laughs> um, yourself and Brian had a kind of night and day experience, in as much as you very much. I was getting texts off you saying how much you 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 very much enjoyed it, and getting texts off Brian about how like. The and it's a thing I'm aware of enjoying gorillas. There's a lot of the people who listen to gorillas and would go to gorillas live would be very off-putting well, uh, yeah, for I mean, I, for I, an old gentleman such as 
either of ourselves. I encountered a few people of that nature, but I've gotten very good over the years at just blocking people like they don't exist. And uh, yeah. that comes into full effect when uh, when I'm at a gig. Um, so I had that. I had uh, the National last Friday, which was, uh, was actually a very nice day. They were at uh, Donnybrook Stadium. Um, and I really appreciate oh, this country's... The posh boy, posh boy out in Donnybrook. I really appreciate this country's description or efforts when they call a stadium a stadium when it's not really a stadium uh you've got the national mm. stadium you've got your donnybrook stadium uh it's mm. it's a field with some chairs come on let's be honest yeah um but that was a very nice day actually um there was like four support acts beforehand beforehand um and they're all kind of like of relative uh sort of mellow in nature so it was just a really kind of chilled out day uh, and that, that was good fun and then after that just just getting as much football into my system as possible. Like one game finishes, and you know you got about half an hour to an hour just to unwind, and then boom, another game ready to go. And uh, it's been good fun. And you know, your boys, three lines on the shirt. I'll tell you what, mate, it's coming home. I can feel it. I can, I can feel it. The first time I've enjoyed the it's coming home is now that the, the phrase is basically a punchline and a meme on Twitter. <laughs> I, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Um, but as I was saying, I, I missed uh, a little bit of the the the, the foosball because I, I took a trip up to Belfast. You did uh, for my birthday celebrations. Uh, myself and the good lady wife, we we headed up for a couple of days. Uh, now we started the weekend, I think, in fine style by heading up to the Three Arena in Dublin and taking in Flight of the Concords. Uh, that was not the original plan to kick off our weekend, but we uh, Brett from Flight of the Concords broke his hand and had to postpone the gig to literally the day we were planning to leave for Belfast. So we went to the gig, went straight back to where the car was parked and drove from there to Belfast. Um, I mean, it's not, not that like treacherous uh, drive. Well, when you have to come out of Dublin the night that that gig is on, Taylor Swift is on and Liam Gallagher is right. on. <laughs> Wait, where was Liam Gallagher playing? Uh, he was playing in Malahide Castle on oh, the north side of Dublin. Boy, oh yeah, because yes, because they kept the um, I think they kept everything up because uh, yeah, because Taylor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, that must have been fun. Yeah, it it was poor. They had pretty much like there was points on the Lewis line where they just weren't stopping and taking people on because it was like we need to get the people from the three arena out of the city, uh, rather than kind of trying to stuff people from the other gate like. The, uh, Taylor Swift people coming from Grove Park on as well. Um, so yeah, that was fun. We did. We didn't get up till Belfast. I think we got in about half two in the morning, all told. Um, but it was great in one respect because then we could wake up fresh at like nine or ten o'clock in the morning, and we had the whole day ahead of us instead of having to like go to sleep and then travel. Sure, sure. Um, makes sense. So in hindsight, it probably was the, the smart thing to do. So yeah, there was a, a good time was had. Had um, you've been to Belfast before, haven't you? Though. Uh yeah. We we for a couple of years there. We went up for our anniversary every year, and I've been a couple of times since. Myself and friend of the show Keith Brony went on a romantic, manly getaway there, uh, Christmas before last, as well. And uh, yeah, city I really have a lot of time for. Did the Red Top bus tour again because we hadn't done it in five years. Uh, did the Titanic Museum again because they have some new shit in there. Um, discovered I enjoy a croque monsieur while I was up there. Uh, what? So a croque monsieur is uh, basically a boiled ham sandwich with cheese on the outside. Like it's a ham and cheese toasty, but the cheese is on the outside of the 
bread. I didn't know this. Like you see when you're out in a coffee shop or something like that, you see croque monsieur and you see the cheese, but you don't know what else is in it. So I, I kind of just always breezed past it. But it was pretty much the only option I was willing to take a dive on when I was up there uh, in the Titanic Museum for breakfast. So I, I yeah, I, I enjoy croque monsieurs now. It's something I can I can add to the list of things I enjoy. Um, appalled to learn, Mark, while I was up there, because one of the things uh, we don't have that still exists within the United Kingdom, much to my chagrin, is Pizza Hut, henceforth oh. referred to as The Hut. Ah, oh, Pizza Hut is a good time. Uh, we once had a very traumatic visit to Pizza Hut, as you may recall, uh, hours after which I was hospitalised for several days. Oh yes, for which you blamed on the, the Fanta, if I remember. <laughs> uh, it was, well, it turned out to be uh, an infection in my blood, but uh, yeah. But let's stick with blaming the Fanta. But um, yeah, that was a poor time. But generally speaking, I think we can both say we enjoy the hut. I'm I'm a big fan of the hut. I used to, um, back in the day when I would work in retail, and my partner at the time also worked in retail, uh, mm-hmm. we would both have Mondays off. So it was basically a weekly tradition that we would go to the Pizza Hut lunch buffet on a Monday. Because uh, first of all, the Pepsi Max, Pepsi Max is... There is nowhere else in the world that Pepsi Max is better, and they get the kind of sugar uh, syrup uh, levels right than in a Pizza Hut tap for some reason. Mm. Um, and then just, uh, you know, a buffet. That's, uh, I, I often find that about Fanta in a cinema. Uh, I don't think I've ever it's the most, in a it's the, it's the most orangey, I find, yeah. uh, out of a tap in the cinema. So I'm glad other people have those weird things about where soft drinks are best. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Coke out of a glass bottle as well. Coke out of a glass, I do agree. So I'm not a big fan of like standard Coca Cola in general. Yeah. Um, uh, like I'm, I'm more than happy just to go with like a can of, of Coke Zero that works for me. Coke Zero. Um, but like I find that Pepsi Max from a bottle, I just, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of it for some reason. But like, yeah. I, I can do big bottle, but uh, the little bottle of uh, Pepsi Max, I don't find enjoyable, and I don't know why that is. I, I know some people say it's something to do with the way that like the smell of it funnels out directly into your face because obviously if you're drinking out of a big bottle you're pouring it into a glass and it's a wider kind of uh thing to put your face up into i feel like that's uh, a, a myth busters thing that needs to be tested yeah yeah um but anyway i went up i was appalled to learn because the only pizza hut that remained in ireland was just off grafton street and it uh, i think last year it closed down maybe the year before um so i i was jumping on the opportunity to go up and uh have a go at the buffet disgusted to learn that it doesn't run on Saturdays. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah, it's gone strictly. It wasn't always the way, was it, Mark? But it's gone strictly Monday to Friday now and no public holidays either. That, that's... Uh, I feel like we need to send a strongly worded email about that. What? Sorry? I, I, I... I feel like we need to send a strongly worded email about that. I know, right? Dear Mr. Hutt. <laughs> it, oh, it's Jabba the Hutt. That's who runs pizza. That explains so very much about Star Wars. Um, yeah, so had that. Uh, like, we didn't, you know, we've gone to restaurants and stuff up there before, but it was kind of like, ah, oh, we were up there just having a couple of days off, me getting a couple of days away from here i'm getting a couple of days off work so it was a lot of just comfort food eating so like we, we we stayed with pizza hut for lunch but we had like kind of small thing because we knew we were going to have dinner late that night and i was thinking right the only place i know that's kind of comfort foodie that we can get vegetarian stuff because i'm a vegetarian and um get something nice for me that i'd enjoy for my birthday dinner and also possibly 
check a look at the football uh, was TGI's and I enjoyed myself a Jack Daniels chicken sandwich sir I, I find that me and Laura go to, to TGI's more than I probably should um, it's, it's it's very expensive but it's like, every, very expensive every time you go it's just like this is so fucking good I can't say I've ever had a bad experience at a TGI's and the problem is because I'm right next to Liffey Valley and there's a TGI's in Liffey Valley uh, mm-hmm. it's, it is a go to um, I just ribs, wish that the ribs. I I just wish that the um the chicken what the fuck is it chicken strippers what the hell are they called the um the set the, the sesame jack chicken yes 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 um, oh it's good stuff. it's like it's so nice but it's like nine quid for a starter which is just that the, not only is it, not only is it nine quid for a starter but there's so much of it that the main course becomes a challenge yeah yeah. It's like I know there's like premium food and that there's like premium tier pricing, but that's a little bit too excessive for me. Like Laura will just have that as her main meal, but I yeah. can't I can't justify that as a main meal. I need I don't know. There has to be a combination of, of foods together there. I can't just have one thing. And and people wonder why we're such great friends. Yeah, I, I know, right? <laughs> we, we share so many philosophies on life. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, so it was a great trip. I, ha- I had a- an absolutely smashing time, and we stayed in the... We kind of had a... We're big Airbnb converts this year, as I've talked to you about uh, off the air. I uh, completely swear by it now that I've tried it. Uh, this is the third time I've done it. Uh, Krakow, Leeds, now Belfast. And there was kind of like... I was joking when, when Emma was booking oh, so it. Also, one th- of those are not like the other. Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> Emma was booking it, and I was like, um, keep an eye on the general area in Belfast that uh, the Airbnb is in because <laughs> our accents may not be welcome in certain parts. Uh, but it turns out this place was in the Titanic quarter. And oh, it was, lovely. It was literally, it's like, it's clearly like they're kind of small town house apartment things. And they're, they're done up for like, I imagine young professionals and things like is that. It, cause um, I, I know there's like a couple of blocks of flats that look over like the kind of docking area. Yeah, you you can see the Harland and Wolf, uh, the big, huge yellow um, things, uh, out the window. Sure, sure, sure. It's right near. There's there's like a huge Holiday Inn or something like that. That's about five minutes away. Um, it's like it's like literally a, you could nearly throw a stone and break a window in the Titanic Museum. That's cool. how close it is. Um, so yeah, really, really happy with how that went. Had a great weekend. Relax a time. Bought a fucking stack of blu-rays because i walked in to hmv which is also a thing we don't have here anymore in the republic of ireland i, mean, I don't really think we have that many back home at this point um so i walked into the hmv in 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 belfast and I immediately looked at a shelf where it's a uh like uh pretty much any blu-ray except the brand new blu-rays it was five for 30 pounds and i was like mm. so didn't we have a similar I, thing I, when we went to manchester and they were doing like a studio ghibli uh, yeah, it deal. was it was two for one on Studio Jubilee in oh. the HFV and the Trafford Centre. So I came away with I, they're literally right beside me here. I came <laughs> away with uh, six of them that time, and yeah, I came away with like uh, five uh, the five for thirty deal, and I also got like the Criterion Collection edition of the Royal Tenenbaums, which is like one of the two Wes Anderson films I like. Um, so uh, yeah, have, Wait, have, what's, what's the other one? I need to know the other one. Rushmore. Did you not like Grand Budapest Hotel? It's too Wes Anderson. It's too Wes. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, uh, I, I, there's only like a certain level I get to with Wes Anderson's bullshit, and then I'm just like I completely check out. 
Um, but that's uh, it's actually going to be a, a topic of discussion I have penciled in for the returning popcorn social, ah, which will hopefully will be which will hopefully be recorded next week because I, uh, Jack is much more of a high man on Wes Anderson than yes, I am. Yes. Uh, so I'm gonna, and uh, it's funny because we're all, also the inverse is that I am much more of a high man on the Coen brothers than he is. Um, so I, I feel that might be the subject of, that could be a good subject for a special edition of the program. But anyway, um, shall we get around to talk about some video games, my friend? I mean, I was enjoying this conversation, but yes, let's talk about some games. <laughs> Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, what what you been at, son? Um, so I played a couple of hours of Pokemon Quest, but I really don't feel there's enough there to talk about, so I'm just going to let I, that I one... Think, I think we talked about that a little the day it came out, we recorded the Possibly, show. Possibly, maybe, but I haven't looked at it since, so I'm just going to... Yeah. yeah, just going to move on from that. Uh, so I played and completed a game called Yoku's Island Express. Which... This is this is a game I've heard a lot of. A lot of people who were getting on planes to go to E3 were getting Yoku's Island Express. So I pretty much saw five minutes of a Patrick Klepek stream of him playing this, and then immediately went to my Switch and bought this game. Um, so it's a Metroidvania, uh, and it follows uh, many a trope of what you would find on a, on a Metroidvania-type game. Uh, you have an area... You explore the area, you find whatever gimmick that you need to help you progress on to the next area, uh, and so on and so forth. And as you uh, develop and get more mechanics that you know allow you to traverse the environment in different ways, you can then go back to previously explored areas uh, to find uh, hidden secrets. It does all of that uh, pretty much to a T. The thing that makes this game very interesting is that the, the world is explored in one of two ways. There's your just general kind of standard going left to right. Uh, and then there is basically uh, parts of the island that are shaped <clears throat> or created in ways to uh, kind of mimic a pinball, uh, a pinball uh, game. And um, you, as this little ant, uh, who has this, what I think is like a ping pong ball attached to him by a bit of string, can kind of curl up, you know, alongside the ball and then get flown around this environment uh, and, and the game basically it turns into a pinball game um, and you know depending on if you need to uh, like get smash a particular rock that's stuck in a part of the part of that part of the, 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 the map that is now shaped like a, a pinball board a pinball machine um, or if you need to collect a bunch of uh, these kind of purple stones that will uh, break this gate which will allow you to get to the next part of the the map um you have to you know complete whatever the objective is or just simply just get find how to get out to get to the next part and the game is very seamless in going between um the general uh, kind of standard exploration and the parts that are uh, like playing a game of pinball and it's uh it's just a very charming game. It looks uh, and and has a lot of the kind of uh, Ubi Art Rayman vibe to it in terms of how it looks and just how it feels. Um, you know, there's there's just charm that kind of oozes out. Like um, Yoku, uh, so he's this little ant 
but he also acts as the postman for the island, so he can go right. around and he can stuff these post boxes with letters, which then give him fruit. Um, if he wants to interact with any of the NPCs, he has a little party blower that he blows every single time if you need to by pressing A, uh, and it's just it's just the most wonderfully charming, uh, just just feel good sort of uh, game that I've I've felt uh, been a part of in some time. Um, I wouldn't say that it's it's particularly challenging. Uh, there, there is a um, a curve, a slight curve in like some parts of the the game where you know you, you it behaves like a pinball game. Um, but the game is quite open world in the parts that you need to explore. There are specific parts that are locked off, um, and you need like a specific mechanic or an upgrade to be able to get to them. Um, so you know that that is very much feels like the kind of end game mechanics. That are a little bit more trickier, but uh, I, I completed the game in about five or six hours with about seventy-five percent completion. Um, at some point, I may go back and, and finish everything else. But yeah, it's just a very—it's a very peculiar uh, execution of the uh, kind of genre that we've seen done in many, many ways, and it actually like it pulls it off very, very well. Um, I'm not sure I, I kind of see it as like a. a you know, game of the year type contender, but like for what it is and what it attempts to do, it does it very, very well. Um, and I had a lot of fun playing it, and it's perfect on Switch. <laughs> Hashtag perfect on Switch. It, yeah, I mean, it's on Steam, it's on PS4, it's on uh, Xbox. I did actually play quite a lot of it um, through the TV with it docked in the station because mm. uh, it's just it's a really pretty game to look at. It's nice uh, to see it uh, at this screen. point. Now that you've got your uh, kind of like you're up in your own space and you've got your TV out, just generally speaking, are you more of a, a still? Because you were you were quite a handheld mode for the Switch kind of guy when you still lived with me. Is that the same now, or do you find yourself, generally speaking, using the dock more? It it does really depend on the game. So for Yoku's Island, I played it a lot on the dock. Uh, for Splatoon, I still always want to play it on the dock. Um, partly because uh, I've been using my pro controller a lot more. Um, like That's I was, a mighty, a mighty fine bit of hardware. It really is. So I was using my pro controller um, for pretty much all of Yoku, and I like I swear by the pro controller when I play Splatoon. I've been playing Hollow Knight at the moment, and I've been um, playing that just like in bed with the Switch, like centimeters away from my face uh, before I fall asleep. Um, I don't know, it, just, it kind of depends on the game. Um, and I think it kind of depends on, like, the sprites and how big, like, uh, the sprites are. Because uh, when playing Yoku uh, in handheld mode, uh, it, it feels quite... You, you do feel like you're straining a little bit to kind of take in all the detail, because there's a lot and lo a lot of detail. Where something, with something like Hollow Knight, even though there is kind of significant detail uh the actual sprite of the main character is quite big and the enemies are quite big so it it doesn't feel like i'm straining as much um and then stuff like splatoon i mean it's just it's too pretty to not want to play on the full screen yeah i completely understand would this be my kind of game do you think i think you would enjoy it i think you would enjoy the because it's not like whimsical it's just charming um and if you in any way like pinball because the game is kind of built on pinball along with your kind of typical metroidvania type game uh, it, it really kind of brings the two, two together very seamlessly um and uh <clears throat> like 
there's kind of there, there's no real enemies like there are obstacles and there are things to kind of overcome but like there's no real sort of stress to to the game it's very very easy to play um but with the challenge but it's not kind of in a stressful demanding sort of way um and it's like perfect to just pick up and play for sort of half an hour at a time uh, discover a few bits of the map and then kind of just move on to the next thing so yeah i i, I think it's like 14 15 quid on um on switch i think i can't remember i know hollow note is 15 quid um mm. but it's yeah like for for five or six hours worth of gameplay it's uh i'd, I'd give it a, a hearty recommend oh okay well i might check it out so um for my own side of things, I think I'm going to call uh, the next little while of my playing this week's segment uh, Dispatches from the Backlog. Um, I because, feel like at some point I'm going to have to jump into that as well. Uh, I'm kind of, with the exception of uh, Mario Tennis coming out this week, I think I'm taking a while off the buying new games or games I haven't played before and just attempting to like work through stuff. There's like I have... So I have two stacks. Basically, one is more in my head than physical. Um, the first stack is games I have not beaten yet. And then the second game is games I have beaten or I'm close to beating and I'm eyeing up a platinum. Um, the the is second that stack... Is God of War by any chance? Uh, God of War is in consideration for that pile, but the main two that are in that pile so I can kind of delete them and get them off my machine to clear up space is Bioshock Infinite at which I am on the very last fight, the airship battle. And if anybody uh, has played that game before, you'll know the airship battle isn't just something I can log in, spend 20 minutes on and uh, walk away, especially it's on the hardest difficulty and I can't use machines. Um, so yeah, if I can, if I can get into that, finish that off, I'll have the platinum there. The other major one is fallout four, um, which I'm kind of like, I have used a guide to set my ducks in a row that I think if I get back into the swing of things in that game and mainline a few quests, I could be at a, a platinum in a couple of days. Um, but I'm I'm more focusing now on games I've bought and haven't cleared that I kind of want to trade in before um, they, they lose any more value. And, Which reminds uh, me, I need to trade in God of War this week. Thank you for that. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and this week I finished off Far Cry 5. Okay. And I just kind of wanted to tag up on some of the things I've been thinking. And I, I think a lot of my thoughts from the early to, to middle part of the game still stand up, having viewed the whole experience now. Um, I do think it's a game that's in, incredibly fun to play. I think they've, they've done a really good job refining what Far Cry gameplay is, keeping it fun, adding a few new challenges. I think on the whole, I really like the change we discussed before that they made to the perk system, where it's not a you need to skin this exact animal to get this exact perk. It's more like here's a list of things that get you perk points and you can spend them however you want. Um, I wasn't sure how to feel about that at the start. I think hardcore immersive rpg players are not going to like it because it breaks that bit of immersion but uh for me who comes into it just to play it beat it and have fun on the way uh thumbs up because it allowed me to get the unlocks i wanted um much quicker than i would have otherwise um i, I do think the story is a completely whiffed opportunity to have either said something or do anything interesting. I, I think the opening, like it opens so strong. The story beats at the very start are very strong. I think the three lieutenant characters, uh, Faith, Jacob and John 
are very interesting uh on the face of it but nothing is ever really done with them during that so it like you've seen the guy mark in the advertisements the father the guy with the yellow sunglasses who's shirtless he's got all the shit carved into him yes that guy yes so like basically you have a, there's a whole to do with him at the start and then he goes away and the 80 percent of the actual gameplay of the game is that you need to clear out the three regions controlled by his most trusted disciples um john jacob and um oh, i've already forgotten her name again faith and once you do that then that basically unlocks the end game mission uh which involves the father again um and i think the game ends really strong and has um depending on what actually no because i know what the other path is so there's basically much as a lot of far cry games there's a choice at the start and um where you can kind of like remember in Far Cry 4 the thing was like if you just when Pagan Min leaves the room and tells you to wait there a minute if you actually do wait there a minute come back and he comes back the game just ends there um, I mean I never like, oh. Far Cry 4 so yeah yeah so he goes back and he goes oh thank you so much for waiting and then like a cutscene plays and the game's over <laughs> and it's like 20 minutes in huh. um, and you get a trophy for it um, so there's that kind of thing at the start um, but there's also one at the end where there's a choice you can make that gives you two different endings, both of which I imagine get a trophy, uh, both of which in their own way are wonderfully nihilistic and I think would have uh, resonated a lot more if the the meat part of the game, the, the main course, shall we say, uh, was more substantial, had more to it, and not just, hey, here are like here are things we have tried to twist around the the activities and, and the fun stuff we had planned in this world if they actually tried to say something if they actually tried to put a bit of depth um into that story i think it could have been like it really could have been a contender for um game of the year um i think it's a really it's not quite on bethesda levels of buggy but there are some really annoying bugs to it where like checkpoints disappear or if you're driving in a car and you like set a waypoint on a map an arrow should come up along the ground to help you know which way you're supposed to drive on the road and that doesn't always happen and there's just some weird funky shit but again not on the level of like a bethesda game where it's all bugging out to crap but there were a couple of times where i was just like oh for fuck's sake and just had to reload or fast travel away and fast travel back just to get things working properly um, which was disappointing. But on the whole, I think when this game comes down about 20 or 30 euro and it, and it is like, you know, that 30, 40 euro game that's on sale on, on PlayStation, I guess definitely worth a look. I don't, I don't think you'll regret it. I, 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 I kind of eat my words a little bit in as much as I thought that Far Cry Primal was going to be like, this is the last time they can get away with that formula. But it turns out just by refining the gameplay, they sort of got away with the, the it's the same Far Cry formula as always. It's just a story part that, that really let it down, uh, unfortunately. Um, and I don't know really where they're going to go next with the franchise. Uh, to ancient Greece. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, playing this week is done let's talk about what's been happening since e3 in the news Hey, Mark, speaking of things that are perfect on the Switch, June 28th, uh, Playdead Studios have announced that Inside and Limbo will 
both launch on Nintendo Switch. And I think those are two perfect games for the platform, wouldn't you say? It has been a long, long time since I've played Limbo. Uh, And I think it's definitely long enough that I can easily just jump back into that game and probably have completely forgotten all the mechanics. So uh, I'm probably going to pick that one up. Yeah, I yeah, I, I I really can you believe Limbo is six years old? I just don't talk to me about things being old because like everything at this point is at least ten years old to me. So just don't. yeah, fair. Um, like I'm pretty sure Super Meat Boy is close to ten years old at this fucking point. <laughs> um, like yeah, original these... God of War is. God of War. Original Gears of War is like twelve years old. Just I can't can't be dealing with this. Sure, the the PlayStation Three is twelve years old this year as well. Um, yeah, I, I think they're they're both good games. I think we talked a bit at the time because Inside came out within the time we've been doing this podcast, and I think Inside has its flaws. Um, well, we've done uh, we've done Limbo as a book club feature. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we have. Yeah. Um. Inside, in some ways, is better than Limbo, but in a lot of ways, it's it, it's it's not it's not as memorable as Limbo. That's for sure. Except for that, like there's a, like that. Did you play Inside with me? Um, I played it on my own. I don't think. I yeah. Played so it there's you. that like last half hour where it goes cuckoo bananas, and that is it certainly, certainly does. that is certainly memorable. But other than that, I don't think it 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 lingers in the mind like Limbo did at the time. I, I think uh, it's Inside has the style where Limbo. I'm not saying Limbo has the substance, but as an actual like game uh, with puzzles and mechanics, I, I found that yeah. more interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I like, think a lot of the, pu- the the puzzles in Inside were very rudimentary. Yeah, they're 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 just to fit like the purpose of being a game. But yeah, whole... yeah, on, on on the design doc is like we needed a puzzle here. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Put object here to progress further. Yeah. 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 It's like those people who say, like, in a screenplay for an action movie, we need an action beat every 10 pages. Let's figure it out later. It's like, oh, we need a puzzle beat every 10 pages. What puzzle do we do? I don't know. Something with a fucking submarine. Yeah, I, I think of it in the half-life approach of put obstacle here to make bridge go up so you can progress further, because they like to do that a lot. Um, but that, that's cool. I, again, as we say every single fucking week, everything is perfect on the Switch, and this is no exception. Yeah. At what point? At what point, Dave? What games would not be perfect on Switch? Um. Actually, the 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 uh, was it the Street Fighter? We're about to talk about Street Fighter, but the Street Fighter Alpha port. I remember watching a uh, a quick play. That's not good. That's not good at all. What about that? E. Has the the first person fighting mode in that? Oh. E. T. Would be great as a like historical artifact sort of thing. Do you know what 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 would be great on Switch? Oh, tell me. Windjammers. <laughs> Windjammers would be very good on Switch. Although, do you so know what would not... be great? Do you know what would be great on Switch? I was anything about this this morning? Gang beasts. Yes. Although you know, do you know what is probably great on Switch, but I still actually haven't bought yet is Rocket League. Somehow I have not bought Rocket League yet. Uh, is it because you got it for free? So the very idea of paying for it. I mean, I don't. Like, I I don't feel like paying for it would be a bad investment because it's fucking yeah. Rocket League. Also, I suppose, like, thanks to Nintendo Virtual Console being the worst, how many times in your life have you bought, like, Super Mario Bros. 3 or Super Mario World? No, no, the, the one is Mega Man. Right. Mega Man? I have, I have bought Mega Man oh, 2. Have you, are you buying the collection on Switch? I have not bought the collection on Switch. I actually think I'm at the point now where I'm like, you know what? 
I think I have enough versions of that game. Wait till you're going to Canada and it's on sale. I, I know. <laughs> and they're like, wow, I, how many of these can I clear in a flight to Canada? I because I'd taking, like to know that, Mark. How many can you clear in a flight to Canada? I will not be taking my Switch to Canada. I don't know. It seems like you're chickening out with that gauntlet I've laid down in front of you. I will not be taking my Switch to Canada. Seems like you're chickening out. That's all I'm saying. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You tell me, listeners. <laughs> I linked the gas. I'm going to take my Switch for for it not to be used for the two weeks that I'm there. <laughs> um, Mark, we were speaking of Street Fighter there several moments ago. Um, this happened within the, the lifetime of our podcast. You remember Street Fighter Five, right? Um, I'm kinda, I guess. You remember it came out and there wasn't really anything in the game. They rushed it out so that it would be in, uh, in like in competition for Evo. Uh, there was no real story mode. The shop was locked. Uh, like the the art style and and the actual fighting when you were doing it locally felt good, but pretty much everything else about the game was trash. Uh, it was very much a game that was made and released in mind for people that would be at Evo. Yeah, Which, and I mean, if that's your target audience, then sure, whatever. And they've been very poorly playing catch up ever since, and we we read a lot of stories about how it was kind of a like it was a bit of a disaster for Capcom. Um, it looks like they figured out the solution for Street Fighter V's problems, Mark, and that is loot boxes. I mean, sure, I mean, fuck it, why not? Go mad. <laughs> On the 25th of June, Street Fighter V is getting a big new update, and part of that addition is loot boxes. The loot boxes have to do with survival mode and a new system called Fighting Chance. Menat, one of the playable characters, has opened up a shop to tell you your fortune. Spend 500 fight money, the in-game currency, and you get a fantasy fortune reading, which Menat helps you decipher. These readings are the loot box. They contain multiple items, including some exclusive to Fighting Chance, so they can't be won within the game. Uh, items include battle goods, which increase your chance of completing survival mode. New colors only available from the Fantasy Fortune readings. Classic pieces of Street Fighter art from across the series. And to the consternation of the Street Fighter community, rare costumes only available in the Fantasy Fortune readings. These rare costumes include Kami's Cannon Spike costume. Uh, Capcom said it will add more rare costumes as time goes on. Okay, but Mark, the, the key I, thing I, about I, this... Go on. The key thing about this is you can't like buy these with real world money no uh well actually yes you can't can you no you can't yeah yeah so like immediately i don't care because if if there's no real world money involved then like the idea of it being gambling i find is a bit of a loose vague term to use um in terms of it being a thing to kind of add more content to Street Fighter, that is, like, spectacularly dumb. Um, in terms of, like, the whole kind of, like, the bigger issue with loot boxes, uh, with, like, you know, this is not a Star Wars Battlefront-type issue. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's not quite that. It is annoying in as much as instead of spending your actual real-world money to get this, you're going to be spending your physical time to grind out your fight money. Uh, only to waste it on a game of chance well, rather I mean, than like like yeah I, I can see how it would be preferable in a kind of my example that I'm going to use for this is uh, No Mercy for the N64 where you can grind through the main storyline to then unlock uh, all to the get stuff to unlock yeah, to get, yeah. <laughs> I had forgotten about that thank <laughs> you for that reminder 
the Godfather's Hoe is the most expensive in-store uh, purchasable item, isn't it? Well, you know, pimping ain't easy or cheap. <laughs> indeed, yeah. indeed. Uh, sh- sh- sure, whatever. I mean, <laughs> like, to be fair, Capcom, oh, I wouldn't say I'm on my bad books at the moment, so you know, I'm going to let this one slide. <laughs> indeed well look they've got they're bringing out that boss looking remake of resident evil 2 so you know. he said that looks pretty fucking good doesn't it like, doesn't even it's in me, that resi it's in it's in that resi 7 engine that resi 7 engine is gorgeous even me as not not being like you know uh, the diehard resi fan um or player of resi games i looked at like gifts from nibel and i was like that looks pretty fucking cool i know right looking very much forward to that in january of next year uh yeah it this is an unfortunate thing and it's hilarious to me that like capcom are seeing the way the wind is blowing with people like just hearing the word loot box and being like and they've gone nah (laughs) and just gone the other way on it like you said at least people aren't uh going to be able to race waste their real world money on it but i i think stamping out the very concept of loot boxes is is something that uh that needs to happen uh going forward um Mark, this is probably the most mainstream story involving gaming this week. Oh, uh, this fucking nonsense. Yeah, so gaming disorder could become a proper medical condition should a draft of the updated International Classification of Diseases Manual be approved unamended roughly a year from now. A proposed definition of gaming disorder appeared in the newest version of the International Classification of Diseases, diseases. the 11th revision of which is in development and has been for a few years published this morning. The 10th revision of the ICD, implemented by many countries in their national health policies, is 26 years old, having been approved in 1992. We first heard word of its inclusion back in January of this year. Uh, And before I kind of throw this over to you, Mark, the ICD-11 defines gaming disorder as characterized by a pattern of persistent or recurrent gaming behavior, which may be online or offline, manifested by one impaired control over gaming, uh, for example, onset frequency, intensity, duration, termination, context, two, increasing priority given to gaming to the extent that gaming takes precedence over other life interests and daily activities and three continuation or escalation of gaming despite the occurrence of negative consequences i mean i presume that there is a similar thing for being uh, addicted to tv um, well this is this is what everyone was saying that there isn't um and on average uh, m- most people in the western world spend i think i think the average is four hours more a week watching tv than they play games so why isn't that the thing that people are talking about i uh, would presume to... because we still or to to the kind of wider mainstream audience the perception is that video games yeah. are primarily played by like children or yeah. uh, teenagers and i think that's what a lot of it is to do with yeah uh, with the idea uh, well, that our youth is wasting away playing Fortnite. yeah and you know Maybe it is, with Fortnite specifically. But anyway, <laughs> that's just my personal views on Fortnite. But um, there's also the thing like so people people have been saying that like you spend almost twice as much time in the week just sleeping, and no one's talking about an epidemic of narcolepsy breaking out over the Western world. I think people like really do, especially when like the as I've put in here like the the. The definition of gaming and the addiction thereof is so broad as to include, like, 
the time you might rack up just playing like a clicker on your phone on the train to work where you would literally be doing nothing else when you're staring out the window would count towards that accumulation of time um yeah i, I it's just video games has always been that boogeyman to the the wider mainstream uh con- I, I don't i wouldn't want to say this is like a, a conservative audience type thing um you know, I don't know, really know much about the World Health Organization and, and how they've come to this conclusion. Um, but I would say at this point, I listen to more podcasts during the week than I do play video games. So that definitely needs some sort of disorder uh, or, or yeah. whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I saw Twitter was blowing up about this and some people were saying along similar lines of, well, I do this for 20 hours a week. I do this for 48 hours a week. So this should be an addiction. Uh, and then there were people saying that, no, this is probably like at least... A legit thing to look into and yeah absolutely there are as there is with anything there are cases yeah. where um there are children uh young adults older adults who do have uh, whether you want to call it an addiction or or whatever um that do play uh games for an, an unhealthy amount of time and you know we've seen over the years how developers and companies um, have included like warnings that after say like two hours of gameplay is like hey you've been playing for a while maybe you should take a break you know yeah. we've seen those kinds of things have been included to try and get people to have you know regular break breaks when playing video games um so yeah and, and can't yeah. uh can't like the more robust parental controls on consoles limit time on sessions i've never looked into that but it would seem like a thing that is available yeah, I, I I want to say I heard like Vinnie Caravella talking about the parental controls and like the Wii U or something being able to do that. Yeah, I, I think the issue with that usually comes down to like if you've got parents who don't play consoles, I can't yeah. imagine that uh, like, you know, unless they sit there with the child and force them to like, you know, implement the parental controls. I, 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 I'm always curious about like how much that kind of thing actually gets used. Yeah, it it's a funny thing like because um i think the more literate in in video games and games culture a set of parents are going to be the less you would need to rely on something like that because the more you can use your own discretion and the more you understand like it's going to be much easier for there's gonna be much less hysteria uh, about this with our, our generation when we're all parents because we grew up with it and we understand like you know just because the kid is coming home and playing a video game a couple of hours a day doesn't mean he's going to get square eyes or shoot up a school or anything are like you that. Because sure I I was uh, of the impression that millennials are to blame for just about everything at this point. <laughs> I know, right? So it's funny how that works. Yeah. But um, I I think a lot of the like you were kind of touching on there. I think a lot of the hysteria and the the desire to try and classify. Uh, or define the scope of, of quote-unquote gaming addiction comes from a, a fear of the unknown as a lot of things do in these situations as a lot of scaremongering does and it's because they don't understand the culture and things like that and just like i had a perfectly active social life and and school life and things like that and my grades never slipped even though i was playing what probably do amount to unhealthy hours of pro evolution soccer when i was a teenager um in fairness but, jack will attest to this we we nearly missed our gcse maths exam because we was too busy playing ssx3 so dude during my junior during, 
during my junior cert, which is the equivalent of the GCSEs over here, we would, on our study breaks in between exams, go over to a mate's house across the road from the school and play Pro Evo. <laughs> like that, that was how it was. But for a lot of... Um, a lot of kids who go through, like we talk about things like cyberbullying and and all this, which are very serious issues. And I imagine a lot of kids growing up, much like myself when I was a teenager, use video games as a form of like stress relief and escapism. Yes, escapism um, is the one I was going to... Yeah, it's a case of like, oh, look, I've had a rough day at school and not like necessarily anything sinister was going on. Like I was actually being physically bullied or anything like that, but just like, oh, I had an arse of a day at school. Like the teachers are being narky. We got loads of fucking homework, that sort of thing. I just want to forget about all that for an hour. And if I can just like de-stress, then I can kind of like approach my evening and my homework without being all wound up. Um, and I think if if you take these kind of things like gaming addiction too severely um and and start strictly limiting kids here they're just going to find another way to lash out um if you take that away from them i i think as well that um the reason this is has probably blown up now i don't know how long this this research has been going on for but uh, i think part of it and certainly the the reaction that I saw on Twitter is a lot of it is is to do around Fortnite because Fortnite has become the the, the kind of new big video game sensation. Um, probably, I don't know. I want to say the biggest kind of mainstream game that you'd have heard of since GTA. Would that be a, a fair thing? Yeah. To say? Well, I I would say the the whole kind of like this era of um, online play all stems from um the revolution that was call of duty sure uh, yeah modern warfare i think it all kind of like it's all been variations on a theme since then in terms of the culture of online play and the the alleged addictiveness well, thereof i think i think fortnite is why people are talking about it right now well, what, I'm, what i'm saying is that if you think of it in terms of like um if you are someone from like any part of the world uh to name a footballer they'll say david beckham if you ask him to name a wrestler they may say hulk hogan or john cena and i think that kind of like for that equivalent at the moment it is fortnite um because yeah. it's yeah. you know well, but i suppose the, the best equivalent is like what game has appeared in the sun lately as being like oh my god video games are the worst it's fortnite and that's yeah, yeah that's probably the way to, and to i think this. i think before that not in terms of subject matter but in terms of um consumption of children's time i think minecraft was the one people were worrying about uh, sure possibly in terms of like completely sucking up kids spare hours and their obsession with it and um also the kind of like it making them on interact with online communities either through shared servers on pc or um the youtube minecraft community which fucking exploded in the last couple of years yeah, i think um, that one got away with uh not as much heat because of the general levels of like hey this game's actually like really like it, the creativity there uh yeah. is, is very stimulating for for young children so, and, you know yeah, being so, used in classes but like we can take that point and we can say hey look um you don't have a problem with this even though kids were spending just as much time playing minecraft as they now are playing fortnite what it comes down to is a case of it's all oh, when it's the game you don't like it's a bad thing 
You know what I mean? Like yeah, when it's yeah. a, the game, when it's a game, these these red top uh, newspapers or whoever are talking about when it's a game, they they look down their nose at. Um, they think it's oh oh, I you know I don't like this. I think this is unsuitable. That's when they they get mad about it. It's not really about the time consumption like this definition suggests. It's more about what it's another form of censorship, I suppose you could say in a way. Yeah. Um. Moving swiftly on, I thought this was... Uh, I just threw this in because I thought this was a funny thing. And, I, I like, this really feels like the new Duke Nukem Forever, Mark. Uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2 is allegedly getting a beta by the end of 2019. Now, I don't want to just immediately there, say there that. Is nothing, not... There is nothing as bad as Duke Nukem Forever. All right. Yeah, I, I don't want to immediately come out now and say that um, this isn't happening. But... If you're a Beyond Good and Evil fan, God, I, I want the world for you. I really want that game to come out, and I want it to be everything you've been waiting for. And I like Beyond Good and Evil, and I'm looking forward to playing this game. But please, for the love of God, no matter what Ubisoft say, don't. Is this your <laughs> Just... E3 prediction for 2019? Uh, look, it may feature into it. Um, let, let's not forget that Beyond Good and Evil 2 has been in development since... Ooh, about 2005, probably. I mean, like, has it been in development? Well, it yeah, it was, because remember we actually saw a trailer and everything for it last generation. Uh, I'd um, say it was in development for a little while and then just kind of sat on a shelf until they figured out what they were doing with it. So, so I believe, if I understand the timeline correctly, it was in early concept from about 2005 to 2007. Uh, 2007 is when rumors started first coming out to the press. I think 2008, Michelle Ansel said that it existed. Um, and so it's been 10 years since they confirmed that they were working on it. Um, and it has been like broken down and, and rebuilt several times. It's not quite like at 10 years. It's not quite at Duke Nukem Forever levels. Um, and, and I do believe this game will come out. Eventually, uh, I'm just saying, like, we have more than enough in, in terms of games throughout history that have promised us the world and promised that things are coming out. Like Last Guardian, you know, how long did we hear that was just round the corner? Um, so just take it all with a pinch of salt, for the love of God. Okay. <laughs> That's just... I, I just... when I When I see them mention dates and things like that, I'm like, would it really... You should. People just shouldn't announce games until they've got most of it done. You I, know? I do agree with that. Um, I do like this. Um, I like to call it the uh, the rain, Radiohead in Rainbows approach of Hey, here's this thing. It's out now. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, the, you know you can't always do that. You need to have marketing. You need to have the the PR machine behind it. Um, but yes. Uh, Announcing something, I probably the best example to use at the moment is Crackdown Three. Um, yeah, like just at this point, just don't even say it will be out or at this time. Funny enough, fun, funny enough, that's not even the best example we'll be talking about on the show today. But more of that in a little while. I mean, well, I'd say it's the worst example. Maybe is probably the best. Oh, 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 oh we'll okay. see. All right, okay. <laughs> Um, just to catch you up, so it's been 10 years pretty much since uh, it was confirmed that Beyond Good and Evil 2 is in development. So we're four years behind Duke Nukem Forever, which took 14 years between 1997 and 2011. Um, so clock is ticking, Ubisoft. You know what? If you want to break that record. If they released the game as it is now, 
I would still say it'd be better than Duke Nukem Forever. Mm-hmm. Shake it, baby. Um, my parents are so- dead. <laughs> Shake it, parents. Um, FIFA 19 coming out in in August, September. We we know that. Uh, we talked about it on the E3 podcast, but it is now the latest battleground for Sony to defend itself on its lack of willing to play ball on cross platform play. Mark. Um, just to, to bring this back into light, Sony seemed to be the only one out of um, PC, Xbox, and Nintendo who still care about this because we've had projects over the last couple of years. We obviously have the unified Windows platform now where Xbox stuff and PC stuff is all being shared on one platform. Uh, and we've had a couple of things like Minecraft and Rocket League which interact uh, with servers from Xbox and PC. Um. Every so often, uh, the most recent one being Fortnite. Did were you following the whole Fortnite uh, account fiasco? Uh, I mean, I was following it in as much as I knew it. It was a thing that existed, but I wouldn't say yeah. I was that so, invested in it. Yeah. So to catch people up on it, um, if you had a Fortnite account on PS4 and you wanted to play Fortnite on uh, Nintendo Switch, not only could you not play with people who were on PS4 while you were on Nintendo Switch, but it wouldn't let you sign into your account. Uh, and you would have to create a new account, but not from the same email address. You would have to create a new email address or delete your old account to be allowed to play on Switch. Um, which was just like, why Why could you not sign into the same account? Uh, and Sony turned out to be the reason why. They just really don't like this cross-platform play at all. they have been real sticks in the mud about it. Every so often a game comes up that raises this, this topic of discussion. Uh, and this seems to be the latest one. Um... Currently, FIFA has no cross-platform play at all, unlike, say, Rocket League, uh, which lets players match with other players across PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch. FIFA does not let you use one account across multiple platforms either. And online uh, Ultimate Team Marketplace is platform-specific too, which limits market activity. So there are a lot of reasons why cross-platform play would be great for FIFA. And it sounds like the developers agree. In fact, FIFA creative director Matt Pryor told Eurogamer at E3 this is something EA Sports has looked into. It's something we've looked at, and it's something we often talk about, he said before, suggesting first-party policy is to blame. Go away. Uh, There are a lot of issues to work through, though. I'm trying to be diplomatic here. There are a lot of issues to work with various first parties, but Fortnite does that now with PC to console. From a consumer standpoint, it makes the community that much broader, which is much more compelling. It's funny, Mark, like, developers want it. All but one platform holder seems to want it, and, and it's just not happening. Uh, look, it's. I, I really don't feel at this point it's uh, it's any skin off of Sony's back if they do or they don't. Um, you know, yeah. they, they're in such a, a commanding position. Um, like, at this point, the only reason to do it is just for the goodwill of doing it. Um, yeah. And, you know, hopefully at some point they'll, they'll come through with that. But Yeah, it was their, their first excuse. The original excuse was it's it's complicated. And then kind of Xbox came out in response like, no, it's not. <laughs> and then their second excuse was it was an issue of security for their players. Like they don't want to be they 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 don't want to not be able to monitor every player that Sony players are interacting with uh, from a security standpoint, uh, to which people raise the point that Nintendo kings of all uh excuses in terms of like oh we're not making this network functional because we don't want our players you know talking with strangers on the internet even they were like no we're letting people play rocket league on our platform across platforms so what the fuck 
Um, at the end of the day, Mark, I, I think we all know what the reason behind it is. And that is that when it comes to a shift between generations, when you're moving from PS3 to PS4 or Xbox 360 to Xbox One, or you're switching between Microsoft and Sony, the biggest, because so many games are third party and available on all platforms one of the biggest deciding factors in which console you're picking every generation comes down to where your friends are playing and one of the major reasons sony are winning this generation at a canter is because xbox dirtied their bibs so badly that a lot of people decided on the spot okay i'm going to ps4 i'm not getting an xbox one and when your friends start deciding all of them are migrating to PS4, if I like to play Call of Duty with my friends, all of them are getting PS4s and not Xbox Ones, I'm just going to get a PS4 as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, this is one of those things that um, largely due to the fact that I'm not, you know, the biggest online multiplayer kind of person. Um, really? Of, yeah, I know, right? A lot of this has just kind of flown over me recently, and and I understand the frustration that <clears throat> um, players want to be able to play with with more people across a a, you know, a larger uh, base of players. But like, is there really anything lost if you, as a PlayStation player, can't play with someone who's got the same game on Switch? Does it really make any difference? I don't think it does. Yeah. I, I think there's there's people in, in Sony who are afraid that without that kind of like we can lure groups of people away at a time, I think they're afraid that people will just naturally migrate back to Xbox. Um, I don't necessarily see any basis for that definitely happening. I think if you provide the better services and have the better console, players are just going to go there. I don't think you need to be like overly gatekeepery about your network especially when it's a network that historically has so many fucking problems yeah and but we, uh I, here we are and everyone knows sony has won this generation you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know um it i could i can see the the reasoning for wanting it i can see why sony don't have it i just don't really care either way yeah uh more bad news for telltale games uh their former uh their former CEO, I think he's the CEO, and he was one of the co-founders, uh, yeah, former CEO, is suing them. Um, the dispute revolves around uh, this man, Kevin Bruner, and his ousting as boss of Telltale in 2017. Br <coughs> Bruner remained on the board, and now the company... Uh, and now says the company was contractually obliged to provide him with informational support as he prepared to sell his holdings in common and preferred stock. But Telltale cut off communication uh, at around the same time, September of 2017. Telltale hired Peter Hawley, a former executive at Zynga, as chief executive. Bruner was then removed from the board of directors, which he alleges was done without enough stock to cast legitimate votes to do so. According to the lawsuit, the net effect of Bruner's alleged removal from the board of directors was what Bruner was deprived of, relevant insight into the management and financial state of Telltale and its and the value of its shares. <clears throat> so this lawsuit has started. Telltale's pretty much their, their only comment on it is um, that they, they, they believe it's a meritless lawsuit, insisted it was filed as an apparent means of extracting revenge on a company already under financial strain. The company is now working to turn around the decline that it experienced under the plaintiff's stewardship. 
So it's very much seems to be a he he said they said sort of thing. So this guy was ousted out. They obviously um wanted them out as quickly as possible and kind of sped along the process more than they were strictly legally allowed to. Um and they believe now he wasn't concerned about it at the time, but is now kind of bringing this frivolous lawsuit uh, out of spite against the company because. Over the course of last year on the podcast, we did uh, report that Telltale was experiencing some uh, financial difficulties. They laid off about 25% of their staff and said that they were going to make fewer but better games. As a result, that was their way of saying that they were refocusing. But uh, a lot of people would suggest that um, perhaps the reputation of their games as buggy and non-functional was starting to hit the bottom line a little bit as well. Um, what's your take on this whole situation? Seems to be a real mess. It, yeah, it does. Uh, I think that the the bigger picture, as you mentioned, there is that um, the the gen the kind of res- the, the public uh, perception of Telltale at the moment uh, isn't great. Um, between the the laying off of about twenty five percent of the staff, uh, between more importantly, in some ways, uh, just the not more important than people losing their jobs, but uh, the fact that, yes, the, the games that have been released have consistently had issues to do with the, the engine, just um, really needing a complete overhaul. Um, and it was seeming very much that Telltale were just taking on as many projects as possible and not really looking at the, the, the kind of bigger issue of you know fixing the core issues with that engine. Um, this whole thing just you know, doesn't help the situation and um, it's a shame because you go back a few years ago and, and Telltale were uh, lauded as one of these kind of great video game developers for doing something really unique um, and you know I know a lot of people are uh, big fans of that first season of The Walking Dead, um, The Wolf Among Us uh, and uh, there just there's been a consistency of issues since that they really need to to, to work through. Um, and the, and the, the idea of a, a Stranger Things game based on mm. um, the the Telltale type of game is is pretty interesting. And uh, I just I hope that they can fix the the minor issues before well, the bigger issues within the engine because. Um, yeah, I, I I think there are a lot of people that have, been, have just been burnt one too many times by that. Yeah, and I I imagine you're one of those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they're kind of like uh, just the the longer you always want to believe like so as the the game the the studio ramped up the amount of projects it was doing. Obviously, the revenue the great revenue that was coming in from all these deals they were cutting, you thought, okay, like they'll, they'll put at least some of this money into R and D on rebuilding their engine. And I just like to the point now where that guardians of the galaxy game came out, which would be an immediate day one purchase for me, uh, back when I really enjoyed telltale games, the same goes for Batman season two. And I'm just like, oh, I don't fucking care now. Uh, I really hope the ship gets righted in terms in, in time early next year for the wolf among us season two. Cause I really want to play that. But, um, yeah, my caring for the the brand of Telltale Games is certainly at an all time low right now. Final story: We talked earlier about uh, ridiculous Duke Nukem Forever style projects. Final Fantasy VII remake. Uh, the director of the remake of Final Fantasy VII has basically had to come out. This is how ridiculous it's been. Ha- has had to come out and say that the game does exist. 
still. I think the fact that there was no mention of it at E3. Dude, there has been no mention of e- of it at E3 for three years. There has been no mention of it at all for about two and a half years. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know. I guess this was, was um, the, the breaking point then, but I'm not surprised that this announcement has come out. Um, and I'm not surprised that, uh, like, if they had said that development on it had stopped, I'd been more surprised at than this announcement. So basically, it seems like the way Nomura describes it is that like all the resources Square had are going into another long ruminating project, and that is Kingdom Hearts Three, which they must be at this point desperate to get out the door uh, early 2019, as has been announced at E3. Um, so he kind of said he's been 100% focused on that, and when he hasn't been 100% focused on that, he's been 100% focused on Final Fantasy VII. But one of the comments he had here was very telling, which is interesting to me. Eurogamer have one interpretation of the, the translation of what he said, um, where he said it's not just in the early concept stages, we are actually in development. But uh, another translation of it that, that came out around this time that had infuriated people was that he he had basically said, we have just exited the early concept phase, <laughs> uh, which was setting off all sorts of alarm bells. Uh, it seems like, um, so the last thing we had heard about it uh, two, two and a half years ago, whenever it was, was that it was going to be an episodic game. Yes, it was going to be pretty much like the way they were saying it was look as soon as we finish one chunk of this game we're shipping it um, and we're kind of going to use the part one money to fund part two and so on and it's going to be this huge fucking sprawling experience that, that recreates Final Fantasy 7 it does uh, It does feel like that um, they really shouldn't have made any announcement about uh, this game existing until oh, I don't know we were past the early concept stage maybe uh yeah it, it it feels like a classic one of those and like square is a company that loves to like if they have any tiny tidbit of information they're going to announce it like how many years have we been hearing about <clears throat> kingdom hearts this kingdom hearts 3 game coming out and now it's finally coming out and the fact that we're not even seeing anything from this final fantasy 7 remake is really worrying a lot of people um, like, does anything exist out, outside of that really cool trailer and that really brief bit of combat we saw at, like, a PSX, I think, or maybe a Paris Games Week uh, a few months after? Um, it's, uh, yeah, if you're a Final Fantasy VII fan, it's not a good time for you at all. No, this whole thing is a bit of a mess at this point. Uh, that's the end of the news this week, and now we're going to move into the book club feature uh making its return after three weeks uh that weekly feature on our podcast where we talk about an important game for the past that you should play for the first time you haven't before pick it up again if it's been a while mark took the reins this week and uh picked one of his favorites from the last few years and that game is called guaca melee Guacamelee is a Metroidvania action platforming video game developed and published by Drinkbox Studios. The game was released for the PlayStation 3, PlayStation Vita in April 2013, 
and was later ported to Microsoft Windows in August 2013 and to OS X and Linux in February 2014. <clears throat> An enhanced edition was released for the Wii U, Windows, PlayStation 4, Xbox One and Xbox 360 in July 2014. The game draws its inspiration from traditional Mexican culture and folklore. A sequel, Guacamelee 2, was announced in October 2017 for the PlayStation 4 and will also include four-player cooperative gameplay. So, Dave, um, I feel like this is a game that is going to be uh, more on me to talk about. Uh, as far as I'm aware, you haven't played much of this? I, I have played a little bit of it on uh, sorry, on uh, my PS Vita, I believe. A good place um, to play it. Yeah, I believe I played it on Vita while on the... On, yeah, it was that summer where I was traveling around. I visited you. Because remember I was playing Fez as well on ah, my yes. Vita that summer? Yes. Yeah, so that was the summer of like, man, these Vitas are real cool. I certainly hope this great supply of games coming out for it lasts. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So, um, yeah. When I first saw it, though, like the thing that immediately grabbed me about it before I even played it myself, and I'm sure it's something you're going to launch into talking about here, is the art style of this game. And I, I briefly did a double take thinking, my God, they they made a video game adaptation of Mucha Lucha. <laughs> um, talk to me about Guacamole and, and like how you how you it first came across your radar. So I don't remember specifically um, where I came across the, the game. Um, I just remember kind of my first times playing it and you know Guacamelee takes uh, two things that I enjoy uh, which is Metroidvania type games and uh, Lucha Libre um, not so much that I watch a lot of Lucha Libre but just the sheer concept of it is uh, is enjoyable mm -hmm. um, and is not something that we have seen uh, incorporated into to video games that much. It's not a concept that uh, has seen a, a lot uh, of exposure. <clears throat> uh, certainly, it's something that uh, inspiration has been drawn from. And so, you know, coming into this game, I was like, all right, we'll see, you know, how they approach this. Will this be in a, like, in a kind of cheap sort of, you know how, like, Nacho Libre, the film, like, had, obviously was drawn from uh, Lucha Libre, but it didn't really kind of, didn't have the heart of, of the source material. It was just... It, it seemed very much like someone had heard vaguely over a conversation in a pub of what Lucha Libre was, and then decided to make a movie about it. Yeah, it was like, and, you know, Jack Black was popular at the time, so whatever, but... um. <clears throat> The things that immediately strike you out about this game um, is is all the minor details, um, and you know there was a lot done to kind of look into uh, Mexican culture, uh, lucha libre, um, the Day of the Dead festival, all that kind of stuff is all wrapped together, and there are so many kind of minor details that. Uh, just spring, spring through the game uh, and add all these kind of little textures and flavors and touches and it's just it's all so wonderfully presented um, from just the kind of visual look to the the soundtrack which is just has this kind of fabulous um, kind of mariachi vibe to it uh, at times um, but kind of incorporates a, a whole bunch of kind of modern twists and takes as well 
uh, on that style of music and it's it's just it's so really wonderfully uh, kind of put together and you can see that it's done with like a, a real kind of labor of love and what helps on top of all of that is the the very simple fact that um, as a game to, to play and the, the mechanics in place um, there's a real uh, there's a real challenge to it um, from beginning to end with all the the different uh, skills that you learn and how you use those skills to uh, kind of further progress throughout the game because like in um, in say something like uh, Super Metroid uh, you get new abilities but um, they're like just kind of simple commands by just pressing uh, X or whatever just very kind of simple th things to execute where with um, Guacamelee and certainly as you get further into the game like the uh, abilities that you uh, can obtain are um, you know moves that you actually use in the combat um, but they're also moves that you can use to uh, to like reach a kind of higher point so for example instead of just like a simple uh, like double jump you would have um, like a, an uppercut that uh, kind of does the same thing so it's a move that both works as like uh, you know to, to reach a higher platform but also as a, 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 an offensive maneuver mm -hmm. and you know you have a number of um, things that you can do a number of different types of offensive maneuvers that all kind of work in the same way um, but just you know you're using the space in a different way um, and one of the really neat features about it is that all of these moves are kind of color-coded um, so that when you have uh, specific uh, enemies that have um, uh, like a yellow shield around them uh, you know from playing the game after a while that okay this attack that I do um, has like a yellow kind of uh, barrier around it or a ye yellow sort of energy around it so it means that I need to use that particular uh, offensive maneuver to break the shield of that enemy that has the same color and then I can finish them off as normal um, before they get the shield back so the game gets quite frantic when you get into um, the kind of latter stages of the game where you have like uh, three enemies and one of them is red, one of them is yellow, one of them is blue and so that means you have to use the specific attacks that you've learnt on the specific enemies to break the shield and then try and take them out uh, with your normal attacks. Um, so you know it's, it's a game that really forces you to learn how to, how to use all of the things that you learn um, and what I like about it is that compared to some other Metroidvania type games, um, you sometimes might get like a, a, a weapon, <clears throat> a weapon, or or some type of um, ability or item that's only really needed for like one specific part of the map, uh, and then never gets used again. Where with Guacamelee, because all of your moves that you learn are all you know pretty much offensive maneuvers they're constantly being used and they're constantly there's you know there's a constantly a reason for having to learn that ability um, and I really like that compared to a lot of other metroidvanias that sometimes suffer from hey here's an instrument or here's an item that you use once and then never use it again uh, Guacamelee really finds a way to to not have that be the case and so it's very smart about that 
Uh, as a general kind of start to finish experience, what like as the the platforming prodigy, and I know Metroidvania is not quite platformers, but you, you follow me in terms of its kind of retro sensibility. It's very it's um, very platforming. I will say that. Um, what level of challenge does it represent as <laughs> as a whole piece? Like, is it kind of like obviously the, the lower end of things like a traditional Mario game are we talking up at the heights of a super meat boy somewhere in between uh, let the kind of people who haven't played it before let them in a little bit on, on how the challenge is in this game so um, when you think of uh, like a meat boy platformer you think of that type of you do these small condensed bite sized type levels that um, you may have to do over and over and over again Um but you know they're they're challenges that only last you know maximum about thirty seconds. Um, where Guacamole is this open world type adventure, but there is a similarity in terms of um, the the challenge gets very extreme. Um, but you know, Meat Boy and and Mario they're kind of pure platformers. There's running, there's jumping, sometimes there's flying. That's it. Uh, Guacamole is a little bit more involved uh, than that, a little bit more advanced than that, because of all the different types of manoeuvres that you need to do um, during the game. But the game is very fair in how it introduces these uh, mechanics and how they evolve over time. Um, and then it also includes like a, a sort of light dark feature where you'll have enemies that are in like one uh, realm. Um, so you have to change realms to be able to fight them. But it's very clever about how he does that. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the, the kind of challenge, the difficulty level, it, it's it's up there. Um, you know, if you like a Super Meat Boy or if you like a Rayman Origins, um, it it's not the exact type of game. It's not a pure platformer. It's this kind of uh, action uh, 2D beat-em-up uh, with Metroidvania and platforming on the side, so it's doing a fair few things, um, but certainly like the real later end stuff on the the super enhanced version, uh, it's it gets pretty manic. Mm. One of the things before we start to, to wrap up here, one of the like in in reading around a few reviews of Guacamelee when it came out, one of the consistent things uh, people mark against it that that stopped it from getting the, the full hundo or the full ten uh, was it its relative brevity. Now, do you think that the game is a little bit too short for your liking, or do you think that it's one of those games where it it's great that it's short because it doesn't outstay its welcome? Um, I I never felt that. Uh, I never felt that the game was too short. Um, certainly, it it's weird in that it's not a game that feels too short, but it definitely feels like a game that I could definitely play more of this. I would love to have more of this, um, which is why I'm delighted that they're doing a Guacamole 2. But um, no, like from beginning to end, it's it's wonderfully paced out you know there's a good variety of levels and temples um and the <clears throat> the the special edition with all the additional features um it does the kind of you know the sort of like uh boss rush uh legend of zelda kind of special dungeons where you just fight mm-hmm. loads of enemies it, it has like those sort of features as well um so it does kind of bolt on some extra uh, things you can do afterwards but no, I I don't think that's a fair assessment. I think the game plays out from beginning to end um, at a good pace. 
um, with plenty to do and uh, you know unless you can play the game from beginning to end with with no kind of failure no uh, hurdles to overcome you know the, the game will take a good while um, it's, it's a good six to eight hours <clears throat> which I think is reasonable for a, a you know a 2d indie game that is 15 20 quid uh, wrapping things up here hit me with your elevator pitch why people should be interested in guacamole uh, so guacamole is both a very uh, charming funny game with loads of kind of small uh, like Easter eggs um, that takes uh, the the kind of culture of, of Mexico, uh, the Day of the Dead, and Lucha Libre, obviously, and bundles it in this uh, really smart package of uh, 2D beat 'em up type games, Metroidvania, platforming, and does it as well as you can do for any of those genres combined. Um, it doesn't waste your time. Uh, you know it from pretty much from beginning to end uh it's the the flow it's constant you're constantly playing um and the the characters actually for what is just a kind of 2d indie game there's 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 a real chance of the characters um i didn't even really mention any of the characters um i can't oh, I'm trying to remember um oh, man. there's one character who uh he is constantly drunk and his face is on fire uh, and he likes to fire guns a lot and he's quite funny um, I can't remember his name but yeah like the, the characters have a, a kind of snark to him but the writing is actually quite quite funny I think the, the writing actually in the game is is really well done um, yeah it's it's just for that type of game for that type of genre it's, it's as good as you'll find okay uh, one last bit of business before we close the podcast and let's talk about what the game is going to be for episode 116 and it is my turn to pick Mark I am going to take us back to the year 1995 um, to uh, the MS-DOS computer oh, <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk uh, a little game called Doom 2 Hell on Earth. Oh, okay. Which I think is a timely little game to talk about considering the announcement of the Doom 2016 sequel last week. So Doom 2 Hell on Earth uh, will be episode 116 of the podcast. Um, that's going to do it for Link to Cast for this week. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast, subscribe, rate, review. It all helps. The website is linktothecast.eu. If you want to get in touch with us, the email address is linktothecast at gmail.com. But social media is the quickest way to contact us and get a reply and also to keep up to date with our content as it is posted. Facebook.com forward slash Link to the Cast and at Link to the Cast on Twitter. Uh, individually on Twitter, I'm at Dave Ryan IV. Mark is at Lithium Project. Hey, though, if games aren't your only interest, we have a couple of other things here under the umbrella of uh, Link to the Cast that might interest you. Uh, that includes the Grap Up, which is our once every few months pro wrestling podcast, which usually includes myself, Mark, uh, Jack Lazell, and the Chair Shop Podcast's own Barry Murphy as we break down uh, whatever wrestling we feel like talking about uh, when that show comes out. Uh, we also have the Popcorn Social, which we'll be making its return in the next couple weeks which is a monthly when we're on our, when we're on schedule a monthly deep dive into the latest cinema offerings with myself and jack uh, and then we also go back into our own personal lockers and pull out one of one each of our favorite movies and have a kind of long-form discussion about that 
These podcasts, plus the weekly Link to the Cast flagship podcast, are available on the same feed. So one subscription to Link to the Cast on your favourite podcast platform will do the trick. And of course, if there are any episodes from the past, we've talked about many, many games uh, on this programme that interest you, uh, just go onto the website, linktothecast.eu, or go into your podcast feed and just search for whatever game interests you. You might be surprised, we might already have done an episode on it. For Link to the Cast episode 115, I've been Dave Ryan, man on the line, Mark Robinson. We'll see you next week. I am going to buy a pizza. You do that. <laughs>